The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence if investing. The show was pre-recorded earlier this week. The 2021 Top 100 Investment Advisory Firm ranking issued by Barron's is qualitative and quantitative. Includes assets managed, revenue generated, regulatory record, staffing levels and diversity, technology spending, and succession planning. Firms elect to participate but do not pay to be included in the ranking. Investor experience and returns are not considered. At the intersection of life and money. This is Everyday Wealth with award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and personal finance expert Gene Chatsky. Presented by Edelman Financial Engines, ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. Now, here's Gene Chatsky and Soledad O'Brien. Hi, everyone. I'm Gene Chatsky. And I'm Soledad O'Brien, and you are listening to Everyday Wealth. This week, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're kicking off a new series on aging, and we'll be tackling uh, some of the ways to reinvent retirement. In this series, we'll be speaking with experts who have dedicated their careers to researching and advocating on this topic. And given the full breadth that we plan to break it down into multiple episodes throughout the year, because sometimes aging and retirement is very, very complicated. So if you have a question or a topic that you'd like to see us cover on a future show, be sure to visit us at planefe.com and visit the Everyday Wealth page. You can submit your questions or comments there. Joining us today is Dr. Ken Dykewald. Over the past 40 years, Dr. Dykewald has emerged as North America's foremost visionary and original thinker regarding lifestyle and marketing and healthcare and economic and workforce implications of the age wave. He's a psychologist. He's a gerontologist. He's also the best-selling author of literally 18 books on aging-related issues, including uh, this one I love, What Retirees Want, A Holistic View of Life's Third Age, and also Radical Curiosity, One Man's Search for Cosmic Magic and a Purposeful Life. His client list has included like more than half of the Fortune 500. He's been honored by investment advisors, one of the 35 most influential thought leaders in the financial services industry of the past 35 years. So Dr. Dykewald, it's so nice to have you joining us. Nice to see you, Ken. Thanks for being here. Oh, it's always great to see you, Gene. Good to see you, Soledad. So can you explain what you mean by the third age of life? Be glad to. Um, This might seem crazy, but throughout most of history, most people didn't live very long. In fact, throughout 99% of human history, the average life expectancy at birth was under 18. I know that that seems inconceivable. But it wasn't until the 18th and 19th and then the 20th centuries where breakthroughs in health and medicine and pharmacy and fitness began to occur. So people started not dying so young. And for the first time, we're now living quite long lives. You know, living to 80 or 90 has become quite normal. Um, So the idea of the third age, which I I sort of extracted from some European philosophies, was that the first age of life is sort of zero to 30. Biologic development, trying to figure out who you are, kind of getting started in your identity and your relationships and such. And throughout most of history, societies were kind of locked down within that first age because that's where most of the people were. And then you got the second age from about 30 to 60. And that's a time where serious career development, raising family, if you go that route, and developing a little bit of maturity and some wisdom. And then most people were kind of done. You know, that was the end of life. But now with those breakthroughs I mentioned, There's a whole new stage of life, let's say 60 to 90 that's emerging. 
And increasingly for people, that's becoming a time of freedom, wisdom, emotional intelligence, you know, empty nesting. And a lot of people are trying to figure out, what am I going to do with all these extra years of life? How am I going to pay for it? And who will I be as a person? So we're seeing, as a result of longevity, this emergence of all, an entirely new chunk of life. So in your research, I mean, your book's called What Retirees Want. What do they want? I mean, like, is there a nutshell of what, what people want? Because it sounds, I mean, we talk a lot about finance, but it sounds like a lot of what, what you're talking about is life and dreams and, you know, those, those maybe squishier stuff, right? Like what makes a life valuable when you look back at all the years you've spent on the planet? Yeah, I'll answer that with an anecdote. About 20 years ago, I was asked to do some uh, commentary for one of the networks when John Glenn announced he was going up into space at 77. And I knew John. He was a tough guy. And I watched the early reporters working him, and they were kind of, don't you think you're too old for this? And isn't it somebody else's turn? And uh, he turned to these reporters and he said, hey, just because I'll be 77 doesn't mean I still don't have dreams. And I thought to myself, you know, I think we used to think in the shorter lived lives that you had dreams one time as a young person, and then you either fulfilled them or you didn't. And then, you know, you moved to the sidelines. I, th I think what Glenn was giving a shout out to was, hey, you know what? If you're going to live a long life in your retirement. You might take up a new hobby. You might go back to school. You might fall in love again. And so, so I did. The key thing is, is that different than when we were young, there's not like a one size fits all, but there is the exercise that we have to go to of trying to figure out, like, who do I want to be next? And who do I talk to about that? And how do I try different versions of me out until I find the new me at this stage in life? That John Glenn story is so good because I think we don't really let older people have dreams, right? We sort of think of them as, well, you know, the next phase is gone. And and, and I think now when you get older or you're retiring, you, you have time for yourself finally, um, or even pre-retirement. The boomer generation in the United States alone is about to have two and a half trillion hours of free time. And that has never ha by the way, worldwide, it's 50 trillion hours of free time. And so how does one fill that in meaningful ways? Or do you just want to kind of kick back and goof off? You can do that, too. I I've characterized it in my own mind is that people have a freedom from and freedom to freedom from. All right. So you're not raising the kids anymore. So you don't have to show up and do the work anymore. You don't have to wake up early anymore. Uh, you have a lot of freedoms from things that you're obligated to your whole life. And then you have freedom to learn a new language, make some new friends, be a mentor, volunteer at the church, read the books that you never had time for, or, you know, get fit, which is what a lot of people could probably benefit from. So there's a lot more what I call time affluence and also freedom than people have ever had before in their lives. So that's kind of a good thing, but you have to figure out what you're going to do with it. The thing that's so striking about all of those hours of free time is that we're, we're looking at baby boomers, right? We're looking at people who are getting to this third age of their life. They have money to make choices about the way they want to spend their time and the things that they want to do. Ken, what are you seeing in terms of the way that the world is changing to keep up with this aging population? Okay, so let me anchor you guys and your listeners just for a moment. So 
if you remember the signing of the Constitution, we've all seen paintings of that. Everybody was wearing white wigs. And the reason they were wearing white wigs was that older people were considered wise and cool and powerful. And so even young people wanted to look old. That was the fashion back in colonial times. The older you looked, the older you were, the more you'd have power, gravitas. Now, fast forward to the 20th century, the roaring 20s, the boomers came along, the youth revolution, modern marketing and advertising. You turn on your TV, you're going to see a lot of young people being hip and cool and doing interesting things. And the older people are going to be falling down and they can't get up or they've got memory problems and or they're not there at all. You know, kind of the worst version of ageism is you just don't see older people very much in, in proportion to their numbers doing anything. I, I would say that uh, you're aware of this, that people over 50 now control 70 percent of all the wealth in America. So it's a great idea to market to 25-year-olds, but they're broke. It's their parents and grandparents that have the money to renovate the house or to buy new clothes or to buy a cool car or new technology. And so the advertising community, which has been really entrenched in youth, is having to kind of get out of it and realize that there's this emerging, what I call, age wave of new older people. You know, today's 50, you know, and 60-year-olds, you know, look at Springsteen, 71, you know, Jagger is 78. Uh, and, and there was a Betty White effect. Um, when, when Betty White passed away, all of a sudden, a lot of people said, wow, is that what a 99-year-old could be? She was fun and cool, and her timing was great, and seemed to be having a great time. And most people had never seen an older person that wasn't kind of lying in a bed somewhere with, you know, having side effects of drugs being overlaid to the ad. So the more we see and experience older adults who are kind of role models, and the more the advertisers start to show a little respect, uh, we're going to see new possibilities in front of us. How do you think you get there? Because you're right. I, I think people really were impacted by just seeing Betty White, who, by the way, was great and then passed away, right? There was sort of no middle ground with her. She was smart and with it and on it. And then, you know, God rest her soul kind of is how her, her, her life's arc went. Um, and, I, and I think often, though, we're in a time when people are thinking, well, older people are irrelevant or they're thinking like there's this linear life plan. And at this mark here is where we kind of don't need to see you or hear from you or even get any of your input. And you get kind of put out to pasture. Is it just enough to see the, the, the Betty White occasionally or to, I had no idea that Jagger was 78. Jeez, wow. Um, <laughs> You know, is that enough or is that or, or do you think there are going to be bigger shifts in what we're seeing in the workplace that will actually move people along to understanding that better, faster? First, you mentioned this idea of a linear life plan. Historically, we've sort of organized our lives in chunks. You learn once and then you're supposed to know everything you'd ever need to know to last you the rest of your life. Uh, it's ridiculous, of course, because like every 15 minutes, everything is new and different. And then you raise your family and you work, and you did that like a crazy person for 40 years, and then you had some leisure. And for our grandparents' generation, that leisure at the end of the working life was brief. You know, they retired, and they thought they'd have a couple of three, five years before they, their batteries wore out. Today, people are more preferring to have a kind of a cyclic life. You know, you might go back to school a couple, three times. You might be married more than once. You might uh, find a new career after you retire. Or you might retire and find that it's boring. And for, you want to go back, you know, you want to go back to college, which the schools are now opening up for retirees. So, first of all, a new model of life. 
not that linear one. Uh, the second thing I think that's got to happen is that we've got to have some more guidance. You know, my kids are now in their 30s. And I can remember when they were in high school, there was a big deal regarding, okay, who do you want to be next for these next four years? Do you want to join the military? Do you want to go to college? If you want to go to college, is it a state school? How expensive is it? Is it public? Is it private? What do you want to study? And there were guidance counselors and there were coaches. And then if it didn't work, you know, you could transition and transfer. Think about the fact that you've got 10,000 of us a day retiring, 4 million a year. There's already 70 million retirees. And there's no orientation course. There's no, like, summer camp you can go to, no workshops, hardly. You know, there's some financial workshops, and there's some how to renovate your home TV shows you can watch. But the idea of getting kind of a holistic look at what are the possibilities, and how do you try things out, and how do you learn from other people who have kind of gone down the trail in front of you, I think we could do far better than we've done so far. For the last 10 years, the average American retiree watched 47 hours of television a week. And only 24% of them volunteered at all. I've been in the field of gerontology for 48 years, and I'm a boomer. I'd like to say I'm really proud of how people who are retired are behaving. I'm not. Uh, I think there's too much goofing off. There's too much I don't know what to do with myself and not nearly enough purpose. You know, we could all be given a few more hours a week to be helping people in the community and mentoring young kids and guiding people trying to get their careers sorted out. There, there's so much we could be doing as, let's call us elders for a moment, you know, as mentors that I think we're not doing as much of. And even that requires some guidance and some coaching as to how to do it. If you were able to write the script to change how people are entering retirement, what would you do? You know, I've never been asked that question, so I'll take a shot at it for you here. First of all, I don't think it's okay. Now I'm working, now I'm a parent, and now I'm not. Ah! You're supposed to know everything on that first day. I think if there were some more books and some more shows and you saw more people portrayed in television programs and movies, you know, there's the big fad these last few years is if an older person shows up in a TV show, they've got Alzheimer's. And, and, I, and I, I respect that because I'm a big battler to try to find a cure for Alzheimer's. But if that's all you think an older person is, is somebody who's got cognitive loss, that, that's not that's not the deal, you know. So we need to get. First of all, more, more visibility to what's up ahead. In terms of what I think are important, I think we get the opportunity at this stage of life to really reinvent ourselves, to think about, okay, what matters? I'll give you an example. My brother is three years older than me, and uh, he's had kind of a hard life, and, and he took uh, almost a decade to caregive my mom and dad. When, and We had an arrangement where I was helping in certain ways, but he literally moved in with them, and it was just beating them down. And I said to him, Alan, we got to get you something to do that'll give you some fun. And he says, I don't know what I could do. I says, didn't you play? You know, you were great playing the drums when we were teenagers. Why don't I get you some drum lessons? He says, I haven't played the drums for 50 years. And I got him 10 lessons. And after the first one, he called me up. He sounded like a nine-year-old. He was giddy with, with joy. And my brother became a fabulous drummer. And then he started managing bands in South Florida. Then he's got a band. And the year before COVID, they did 91 gigs. And so my brother discovered after a 50-year break that his real calling is to be a musician. And I'm sure there's people listening to this show that walked away from appetites or interests because they had to be a responsible dad or mom or they had to earn a certain amount of money. 
And there's chance to rethink some of that. The other thing I always do is that, you know, I, I tend to think of my life as sort of like a portfolio. So what I'm trying to do with my wife is that I'm trying to work a little bit less each year. Uh, I have to tell you, I'm in kind of an explosive period of my own career now, and I turned 72 this week. So I'm, uh, I'm, I guess I'm beyond retirement age, but I'm having a blast working. But I want to take a month or two a year off. And a lot of boomers say that. They want to keep working. They just don't want to work as hard. Maybe eight months a year, maybe four days a week. The other thing is, is that I've really taken by doing things that we used to call volunteering. I call them philanthropeneuring. Uh, I like to help not-for-profits and interesting people and young people uh, kind of with some of the skills that I've learned in my life. And I don't expect to be paid for that. So about half of what I do, I do for free. So I have a balance of things that I do, more time off. And a lot of my work is what you'd call pro bono. In fact, the two last books that I've written, all the proceeds from them, I'm donating to two different not-for-profit organizations. So I think the idea about balancing your life, it doesn't have to be all of this and all of that into a portfolio. And the last thing is I think the boomers are going to go really nutty with this longevity thing. Uh, boy, you think that the boomers as teenagers created some markets for hair cream and acne medication? Whoa, 100 million of us not particularly feeling good about aches and pains and sleep problems and wrinkles and hair loss and all sorts of stuff. There's going to be a zany longevity marketplace coming in the years to come. And last, the generation before us, our moms and dads, kind of grew up in the shadow of the Depression and were pretty frugal and responsible about saving. We grew up in a time of affluence, and unfortunately, there's too many of us that have not done a very good job of saving at all. And so how the heck are we going to afford 100 years of life? And so I think what's going to have to happen is that boomers are going to need to keep working for some money, or they're going to need to downshift their homes, or they're going to need to form into communes where a couple of three people become roommates, housemates together, like people on Friends or Golden Girls. And I think you're going to see a lot of people adjusting their lives so that they can afford to enjoy themselves when they haven't saved enough. Ken, what you're describing is really what our entire show is about, this phased retirement. And we've been looking at it from a financial perspective and obviously like tax benefits and, and you know, if you continue to earn money, what that means about what you can withdraw from your retirement accounts, et cetera, et cetera, or even push off sort of the access to those accounts. But but a lot of what you've described is this psychology around phased retirement, right? Like the idea that in the window you have left, there's still a lot of life to live. And how do you how do you think about making the most out of it? I mean, I I I think life is about those two things, right? Making sure you're covered financially, because as you point out, we're not savers. And if you are living an extra 30 years and you haven't planned for it, it could be disastrous. Yeah. And and can I just say, Ken, that the research that you've done through the years, um, and I, I feel like I've been a student of that research, the thing that I like most about it, and, and for anybody who's not familiar with Ken's research and Ken's body of work, his website is agewave.com. So, so you want to just go there and you want to check that out. But particularly on retirees, your research is very optimistic. It, it says if you haven't saved enough money, then you will move to a lower tax 
haven, then you will become, you know, the golden girls and move in with your girlfriends. Then you will start a business that you'll get scrappy and you'll figure out a way to make it work. Ken, we could talk to you all day. I think um, Soledad probably agrees with me on that. We are going to let you go and, and dive into our conversation on a phased retirement, which actually we've been talking about as we've been talking with you. But I just want to say a big thank you for being here. I hope that you'll come back. I hope so. Be well. <laughs> Take care. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thanks so much. We'll talk more about reinventing your retirement when we come back. How do you know when to break up with your wealth advisor? Ask yourself, am I getting the attention I deserve? At Edelman Financial Engines, we don't believe you should settle when it comes to your wealth. That's why we model more than 38,000 securities, so we can better stress test your portfolio through thousands of scenarios. Stop settling. Call 888-912-0373 or visit efewealthplanners.com to see what you might be missing with a complimentary financial plan. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Soledad O'Brien, along with Gene Chatsky. Every week, we're guided by experts from Edelman Financial Engines who work with their clients every single day to help move their financial lives forward. So today, we're welcoming back John McCafferty. He's a wealth planner from Alexandria, Virginia. Nice to have you back to the show. You've been on a handful of times. It's nice to see you. Great to be here, Soledad. Gene, thanks so much for having me back. Always a pleasure. So we just finished talking with Ken Dykewald, uh, who's an expert in aging and reinventing retirement. And what I thought maybe for the rest of the show is to to focus on that through the lens of phased retirement. You mentioned it, actually, Gene, the other day. I had never heard that phrase before. What's phased retirement exactly? It, it's kind of what it sounds like in that you're approaching your retirement in steps rather than going all at once and deciding you're going to stop working completely. I mean, what's interesting about it is that employers are grabbing onto this and they're offering their employees different arrangements to allow people who are approaching what we might think of as traditional retirement age to keep working. And they might have a reduced workload. Maybe they can transition eventually from full-time work to part-time work. And eventually they'll transition to full-time retirement. And there are a lot of reasons why these things work for both the employer and the employee. But not every single company offers actually a sort of structured phased retirement plan. A lot do, but a lot don't. What should somebody do? What are the options if you, you know, you go to your bosses and they're like, we just don't really do that I think here. one way to sort of flip the script on that boss is to say, well, what if instead of staying at the company part-time, I became an independent contractor, I became a consultant, then you could hire me back. And if your current employer won't do that, maybe you go work for somebody else. But there are tax benefits to doing it this way. Your earnings are taxed at a reduced rate because of the 20% reduction for qualified business income that's set to expire in 2025, but we've got a few years. You can also take deductions for business expenses like health insurance premiums, some meals, some travel deductions, internet, 
phone bills, retirement plan costs, the home office deduction is out there. It's a little fraught, but if you're using it legitimately, you definitely should take it. You can use the earnings from your business with a SEP plan or a 401k to contribute even more than you might be able to contribute as an employee toward retirement. And it's just really important that you get some good advice as you're doing this from an advisor or from a tax consultant, because when it comes to these small business laws and these independent contractor laws, they change all the time. I think with the economy we're in right now, it seems to me that this is a great time for those conversations. Employers don't want to lose good people, even if they have to rethink the strategy around it. And it can be worthwhile, partly emotionally. You don't have to just up and quit, but also, you know, financially. Interestingly, I think companies have more options than they even know that they might have. Um, AARP did a big piece of research on this during the pandemic, and it went out and surveyed employers about how much flexibility, and that's really what we're talking about, right? Phased retirement equals more flexibility for older people. They asked employers, you know, are you willing to work with your valued people in order to keep them doing their jobs during a really difficult period of time? And I think that's going to keep going. I think we're going to continue to see that. What's interesting, though, is how many employers are starting to just grab onto this. Um, Mercer, which is one of the big benefits consultants, said that about 38% of employers are now offering this, and that's double the number that did it before the pandemic. So employers are seeing a need for this. I think it makes a lot of sense from both perspectives. As an employer, I have you know 16 employees it costs a lot of money for me to onboard people and to get them ramped up and learning systems and to have somebody who's who maybe doesn't want to fully retire, who wants to both make money and also maybe not do nothing, you know, just wants to do a little bit less than they were doing before. I could see how that would be a really good win uh, and win-win maybe is a better way to put it. If we look at the ages of people in this country, we know that the proportion of people over 60 years of age is actually going to double from about 12% to 22% over the next three decades. And if all of those people decided, hey, I'm done, right? I'm going to retire. We would have this huge employment gap and that would push wages up sky high. It would make it really, really difficult for employers to continue to do business in all sorts of industries. And On the flip side, for those people's personal economies, they'd be faced with another difficult challenge. They would be faced with having to make their money last through a longer period of time. We usually talk about retirement being around 30 years, but if you pull the plug early, well, then you're thinking 35 years, 40 years, and it all depends on how people are going to live. So John, I've got to think that you have clients who sit down in your office and sort of like feel a certain way Mm -hmm. about walking away from their job. Definitely. It's not easy. I mean, we talk a lot about it, but it's an entirely different thing to actually do it. And so there's this fear of the unknown. And one of the mantras I share with my clients is this. Everything is easier with a job. That doesn't mean a job that requires working 80 hours a week. Maybe it's just a job that requires working 20 hours a week, but everything's easier with a job. My goal is to make sure that the people I work with secure what I call the financial high ground, where if you can potentially delay Social Security – to a higher benefit, 
that should make you less reliant on your portfolio or on the market for a higher degree of your income. The more income streams you have, the more advantage you have. So many of us find our communities at work. We find our company at work and we get energized just, you know, by this sense that we're contributing, yes, financially to our families, but also to a company and, and in some cases to the community and to the world. It keeps people engaged. It's, it's important to stay relevant and vibrant in your own life and no question about it. Working helps with that and you don't need to make a lot of money. I have to imagine, though, when it comes to your portfolio, there are some big risks have you had people come to you and say, hey, I'm thinking about slowing down? What do you tell them? What, what do you worry about? Well, what I worry about is meeting their income needs. It's, it just starts with that essential need of meeting their month-to-month needs. It starts with making sure that if you are wanting to downshift or uh, attempt a, a phased retirement, um, what do you need? Uh, how much of that need needs to be met from a portfolio and what degree of risk is required in that portfolio to meet your needs, outpace inflation, but also account for the downside. I know the markets have done well. I know you're in a better place financially, but what's going to happen when we are definitively in a recession? I'm not saying we're in one or we're going to be in one anytime soon, but if we enter that type of environment, Are you still okay with just living off of your portfolio income and maybe your social security? And if not, we really need to hone in on this idea of a phased retirement. It's literally one of the biggest game changers in retirement planning. So throughout this show, we've been talking about aging. We've been talking about reinventing retirement. We're going to do this a number of times. This is just the first in a series that we'll be doing on this topic because there is an awful lot to say. And for today, we've been focused in on this concept of a phased retirement, the way to transition from full-time work to full-time retirement while keeping a foot in the door along the way. As we think about how to do this, John, let's just say somebody comes to see you and they are 62 years old. They want this to happen. Is it possible for them to sit down with an advisor at 62 and say, okay, go, or do they need to start earlier? Definitely. 62 is fine. All right. So if you're 62 and considering a phased retirement, there's a a few variables that we want to talk through. And one is your investments, whether they are in retirement accounts or non-retirement accounts. Uh, Then that inevitably leads to social security. I want to help you structure a plan where we would recommend you delay drawing social security until age 70 because there are risks to drawing Social Security earlier. Isn't the whole point of phased retirement to keep you from drawing down your Social Security while also giving you some of the benefits of being retired? You don't have to maybe work as hard. You have a little more choice. And that's the benefit of of doing it in a phase because you kind of head that direction without actually having to pull the trigger on those things that ultimately might have some very big tax implications or might have income implications, not now, but 10 years from now. That's exactly how I would think about it. And I imagine, John, that that's how you encourage your clients to think about phased retirement if they come to you earlier, right? So let's say you get somebody who comes to your office and they're a decade younger. They're they're 52. And they think, well, I'm not going to want to retire all at once. So I'm going to ease my way in when it's when it's my time. 
Are there specific accounts that you want them to think about putting more money into so that when they have to start drawing money out in order to bridge their way to Social Security, that money is available to them in a tax-advantaged way? Yes. If someone came to me at 50 or 52, the conversation might be a little bit different. I'm going to encourage them to continue to add the maximum into their retirement accounts. Um, I then may also encourage them to start adding money into a non-retirement account. Um, it gives it gives an individual a little bit more flexibility. I will then also focus in on their career and, and what do they do and might they be able to transition their skill set maybe into their own business. And the tax advantages to having – and it doesn't have to be this phenomenally successful business. Again, we're talking about a phased retirement where maybe you're making – you know, ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars a year, whatever it happens to be. But once again, the combination of having retirement assets, Gene, and then also I would say a pool of non-retirement assets. And yes, if you're in your fifties, that gives us more time to strategize, and that can be beneficial from a financial and an emotional standpoint. And it's my job to assist you with that. It's my job to remove barriers, to make it easier, and to guide you along the way so that as you're sailing into your 60s, the five years leading up to retirement and then the first five years in retirement are critical. And what we're sort of guarding against is, of course, the unknown recessions and economic downturn. And if you can secure an income stream that won't be detrimental in terms of taxes or reducing your social security benefit, and if you can secure that financial high ground to complement your investment income, that's a good place to be. And so that's how the conversation might be a little bit different when we're starting in our 50s as opposed to maybe 62. Hey, John, when when we're talking to somebody in our 50s, the other really important piece of the puzzle, I think, is what accounts do I want to heavy up on in terms of my contributions? Where do I actually want to put most of my money so that when I start pulling out of those accounts in my 60s, I'm going to have the easiest time tax-wise? And we actually got a listener question that kind of ties into this. So let me just tee that up. It's, it's from Janice C. from Villa Park, California. And she asked, when is a good time or amount to change from contributing to a 401k and to contribute to a Roth 401k? Her employer matches both, and she's thinking about having both tax-deferred and tax-free accounts available at retirement. You know, that's very much what I've done in my own life. I've just made sure that there are different buckets of money to pull from. But I got to tell you, it is it is something that has taken the work of not just me, but my advisor and my accountant. What I want to help Janice and others figure out is this. Is it worth it? Is it worth paying more in taxes. I don't know how old she is, but let's just assume for conversation's sake, she's in her 50s. Let's also assume that if you're in your 50s, you're going to be in your peak earning years. So is it worth it to pay more in taxes now, which you will be doing by loading up on, say, a Roth 401k as opposed to a pre-tax or a traditional 401k? Is it worth doing that to potentially save yourself or create for yourself a tax-free stream of income when you're retired? When you're in your 50s, it might not be worth it. If you're starting the Roth 401k in your 50s, that's not a huge runway. And so 
this is what I help people do is I will plug in numbers and show them specifically if you add X amount of dollars to, say, a Roth 401k, here's what you're going to be paying in taxes. Here's what I project your balance to be, say, at age 62. And here's the amount of income that you might receive from that Roth account. And what percentage of your retirement income will that tax-free stream of income be? Because if it's only 3 4 5% of your overall income, that begs the question, is this even worth it? For someone that uh, can comfortably add to their retirement plan, you have a sufficient amount of money set aside in a pre-tax retirement account. An investor might find themselves wondering or asking themselves, what are the tax implications when I need to take this money out? I'm, I'm required to take distributions at age 72, and I have some concerns there. And so it, it opens up the conversation to maybe being more strategic with the 401k, where yes, maybe you do consider using or implementing the Roth 401k, despite the fact that you're paying more in taxes now. And once again, it's my job to kind of work out the numbers and see if it's worth doing this. But if you're concerned with where your wealth might be, and frankly, this is a good problem to have, or when you're say 72 and you're required to take money out, it may be worthwhile being more strategic with the 401k, where we consider the Roth 401k, or maybe we even consider adding less and putting more into a non-retirement account so that you can offset future tax implications that would be attributed to required distributions, or maybe just normal distributions that you need to take out of a pre-tax retirement account. But I wonder if we're throwing the notion, as we've been talking about all show, of a phased retirement into the picture, right? We might be drawing on these accounts earlier. That probably just adds a layer of, of complication and nuance to the planning process that you have to think about. While we're on that, one important thing to keep in mind when it comes to your 401k is that not all employers are set up to allow for in-service 401k withdrawals, meaning you can't necessarily pull money out while you're still working. So if that's something that you're thinking about, you really need to talk to your employer, talk to your plan administrator about what's possible. Here's something that you might not hear everywhere, okay? Probably the best summer job I ever had. I was a deckhand in in Boston Harbor. I worked for Boston Harbor Cruises, literally best summer job I've ever had. It was great. So that summer, the Queen Elizabeth II came into port. It's almost like a small town on the water. So as this boat is coming into Massachusetts Bay, they cut the engine about a mile out and the weight of the vessel carries it into the harbor. And then all the tugboats come in and align it and guide it into where it's supposed to end up. So imagine that your, let's say your 401k is the QE2. It's hopefully this massive vessel. And if you've saved enough, you can potentially cut the engine a mile out. And what we do, we're like the tugboats through proper diversification, through rebalancing, through coaching you up on proper um, withdrawal rates, what have you. If you're trying to position yourself for a phased retirement, and maybe you don't completely discontinue adding to say a pre-tax 401k, but if you've saved enough, you can reduce it, meaning you can stockpile more money into a non-retirement account so that you have greater access to capital. 
given all of the nuances with this topic, I, I think this is something that we will come back and, and certainly talk about again, as well as other ways to think about the next phase of your life. But that is our show for today. And so if you have a question that you'd like us to answer or a topic that you'd like to discuss, just visit us at Plan EFE. Go to the Everyday Wealth page. If you missed last week's show, you can download the podcast. Um, you can also get it wherever you get your podcasts. That's it for our show uh, this week. John McCafferty, always nice to see you. Thank you for joining us. I'm Soledad O'Brien, along with Gene Chatsky. You've been listening to Everyday Wealth. We'll see you back here next week. Everyday Wealth with Soledad O'Brien and Gene Chatsky is sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. Listen in each week to hear fresh and compelling insights and strategies to help you elevate your financial potential. To learn more, visit our website, everydaywealth.com. Find our show wherever you stream your favorite podcast.